Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, May the 10th. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I hope all of you out there are having a good day cleaning your rooms because it's National Clean Your Room Day and Lord knows I probably need to, but uh, one man who works tirelessly to keep his room clean on all the shifts, first, second, and third, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, it's good to see you again. It's nice to be here, Tom, and might I just say, may the 10th be with you. That was last week, but you know what? We'll just run with it because it's been a busy week. We've had a lot of news stories that have come out. There's a lot of cool things that we want to catch up on, and Stephen, I'll let you start us off. Right on, Tom. Infoblox has released a threat report on a remote access Trojan called Decoy Dog that utilized DNS command and control and went undetected for a year in various sectors across multiple regions. Infoblox Threat Intelligence Group discovered the toolkit and is collaborating with other security vendors and customers to disrupt its activities and secure global networks. The report emphasizes the importance of a robust DNS security strategy and highlights Infoblox's ability to detect threats early in the threat lifecycle and provide customers with preemptive protection against emerging threats like Decoy Dog through its suspicious domain feeds. Tom, I know you've been paying attention a lot to uh, Infoblox. Uh, what do you think here? Well, I think Infoblox is on to something here because we, what we're starting to see with a lot of these more advanced threat actors is they're not using the traditional methods of how to uh, to get data out of a system. Um, I've seen some proof of concept stuff about these DNS attack vectors uh, a few years ago, but they were still kind of in that, that POC phase, if you will. Um, this is unfortunately a, a big indicator of compromise for me because I'm just going to ask all of the people out there, you don't have to hold up your hands, but how many of you are currently scanning the DNS request to see if they're valid and not returning additional information? I don't see any hands. I don't think I'll see any hands. Most people are not doing that. And why? Well, a DNS request is a, it's an IP address or a, a web page or something like that. But what if it's not? What if it's something else? Um, you know, uh, I think of that scene in Die Hard 2. It's like the, the airport beacon just beeps. Well, what if it doesn't beep? What if we use it to talk to people? I didn't know you could do that. And that's kind of the way that DNS kind of functions. It will return whatever you want to send it. So props to the folks from Infoblox, not only for finding this, but for giving it a pretty cool name. Because let's be fair, decoy, decoy dog really kind of uh, gets a, the point across. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, Wiley e. Coyote and the sheepskin kind of thing. And that's how a lot of these things are starting to kind of uh, come across is, you know, it looks something innocuous, like you wouldn't expect this to be a problem. And then all of a sudden it becomes a full-blown national, you know, security case or something like that. Obviously not in this particular case that we know of right now. But, you know, I, I hope that companies like Infoblox can continue to kind of show the importance of having a robust uh, scanning infrastructure to detect these threats. And given their history of... Um, you know, IPAM, DNS, DHCP, that, that whole DDI infrastructure. I think one of the, they're one of the companies that is most appropriately positioned to be able to offer this kind of security assurance in the future. All right, Stephen, peanut butter and jelly, peas and carrots, you know, things that just go together, like Nutanix compute and storage. Well, at least until today, because Nutanix is now offering dedicated nodes for storage as well as for compute. This represents a huge shift away from the progenitor of hyperconvergent infrastructure and their assertion that compute and storage nodes together in the same box is the best solution. Now, all of these announcements came out during Nutanix Next, which is uh, where the company is touting these additional ways to be leveraging their hybrid cloud solutions for specific workload environments like 
databases and things like that. The company points out that the flexibility of having different instance types managed under the same console in their hybrid cloud is something that other competitors aren't really able to do today. But Stephen, let's be fair. Nutanix saying that you don't need to buy compute and storage in the same box, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been following Nutanix actually all the way back to uh, September of 2011 uh, at Tech Field Day 8. That's the first time we saw Nutanix. And ever since then, they have been the uh, champion of this whole hyperconverged uh, concept, which essentially says, you know, that, that, that these things should be tightly coupled. It's really interesting to see the company uh, move to a more loosely coupled future because, after all, that's something that a lot of competitors have been saying for a long, long time uh, and, and claiming that that's a detriment to the Nutanix solution. Well, uh, it's not a detriment anymore. Uh, you can now deploy more dedicated storage and compute nodes to mix and match what you've got in your HCI stack. And I think that this will allow a much greater customization and a much greater fit for purpose with these nodes in diverse workloads. Uh, for example, when running databases, this is one of the big um, areas that people are very interested in hyperconverged solutions because DBAs don't wanna have to meddle with hardware and infrastructure. And uh, by introducing this, it sounds like Nutanix is gonna be delivering a much better service to those folks. So these uh, new uh, nodes are also part of a rollout from Nutanix of a new uh, platform as a service product, including a database as a service offering. This reminds me of something that we saw, for example, from Pure Storage earlier, but um, frankly, it's in line, uh, that's not a dig on Nutanix because it's in line with where the, the whole um, industry is going. So just like database people want simple infrastructure, Infrastructure people want simpler databases. And um, by offering this, Nutanix, I think, is meeting the needs of their customers. They've also got some other uh, improvements that they showed at uh, Nutanix Next, including uh, multi-cloud snapshots, uh, improvements to their central management system, and so on. But overall, I think that this is a smart move for them to move to a more diverse offering that allows customers to have exactly the right solution for their workload. Tom, MSI was breached a couple of weeks ago, and the group held some one and a half terabytes of data for ransom. Since you're hearing about this story now, you know that MSI didn't pay the ransom. The attackers published the data publicly in retribution, and some of the contents was pretty embarrassing, honestly. One of the big ones, though, was the Intel boot guard firmware keys, which were found in the data dump, which means that anyone with access can now sign malicious firmware files to install on MSI devices with no warnings. According to researcher Alex Matrov uh, with Binarily, this leak also affects all OEM signing mechanisms within the converged security and management engine. Tom, uh, is MSI in trouble here? Is Intel in trouble here? And are we all in trouble here? Well, so the story broke and originally it was, you know, all Intel boot guard keys are out in the wild and everything is, is messed up and, you know, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria kind of stuff. Intel has later clarified, at least from their perspective, that these were generated by the hardware manufacturer. It does not affect all of Intel boot guard. You know, it just affects the some hundreds of so devices that MSI has out there, which honestly is still pretty frankly embarrassing. So this is one of those things when, you know, we could seriously do a breach story every week if we wanted to. And honestly, this MSI story kind of slipped under the radar. I didn't even see it until this came out because that's kind of how prevalent things are. But that's the deal. 
they had 1.5 terabytes worth of data. Nobody knew what they had. Did they have the source code to your, uh, you know, test kit suites? Did they have, um, you know, product roadmap stuff? We don't know. We don't know what they made off with. Yeah, you, you play a dangerous game when you choose not to pay the ransom. Um, a lot of companies are looking at that saying, well, I'll just pay the ransom and recoup it against cyber insurance costs, except now we're starting to see the secondary insurance market that won't be covering those things in the future because they're tired of having to pay. And so now do I take the chance and let the, the data get out there? Because researchers have nothing but time to pick through. And now what you're running into is MSI is saying, oh, well, you know, don't download any uh, BIOS updates or UEFI firmware updates from anywhere else but our website because they can't be trusted. But we wouldn't know the difference because you can have those things signed by keys. And it takes way too long to revoke those keys and to verify that those firmware loads are no longer valid. And this is the, the latest attack vector. I mean, we've se seen it a few months ago where someone was able to make off of some of Samsung signing keys. What this allows you to do is insert low-level uh, malware into a system that's basically impossible to get rid of. Um, you know, think about, because what do we tell people all the time? If you've got a problem with your system and you think you might be infected by anything up to and including a root kit, wipe the whole thing and reinstall. Well, if they've managed to put the boot kit or at least the files into the firmware of your device, it's always going to be there. You're never going to be able to get rid of it. And that's why this is such a big deal. I think MSI is going to have to work really hard, not only to invalidate the existing keys that got leaked, but also to repair the trust in the industry to make sure that they're not going to have these problems because what is the worst part about it is that unless someone is on top of the security updates and knows that these certificates have have been leaked into the wild and these keys are available there's really not a whole lot you can do to determine whether or not you've been infected so i i just i hope msi can get a handle on this because otherwise it's going to be doubly embarrassing when we have to cover them on the rundown again later this year talking about how this is becoming a bigger problem Stephen, uh, Pure Storage VP of R&D, uh, Sean Rosemarin, is boldly claiming that hard disk drives will be extinct after 2028. Now, the flash storage proponents over at Pure are making this prediction based on the fact that hard drives are a huge source of power consumption. And when you compare the device's power consumption to that of NAND flash as well as a lot of the other advances in NAND flash, that's where they're thinking it's going to happen. Um, it, you, this sounds familiar to you. It, it follows in line with some of the ESG initiatives that Pure has been discussing, including discussing with us back during uh, Cisco Live EMEA in February. We'll link uh, a little bit of that interview here in the show notes. Um, Rosemarin says that Pure estimates that data centers use approximately 3% of the world's power generation, and most of that consumption comes from hard drives. So reducing those disks would lead to significant reductions in power usage on top of providing better performance, kind of like the performance that you get from NAND flash arrays that are provided by companies like Pure Storage. Stephen, should we start writing the Requiem for spinning rust? Well, I think first of all, uh, congrats to uh, Rosemarin for uh, saying something that will get some attention. Um, yes, absolutely. That was the, the point of this. Um, because this is really in line with what we've been hearing for pure storage for over a decade. Um, and, and I think that, that the, the point here is actually quite valid. And that is that if you look at the um, impact, the, the power and cooling budget, the capacity budget of, of spinning hard drives, 
it is certainly a, uh, a, a leveling off uh, curve in terms of capacity for what you're putting into it. Whereas if you look at the inputs into the same curve for flash storage, it is a rising curve uh, and rising much quicker. Uh, to the point that Pure now claims that their direct flash modules are actually more efficient um, overall on a per capacity basis than, than hard drives, and that that basically puts the nail in the coffin. And I think that it's important to note here that, uh, you know, he's not saying that this is going to happen tomorrow, that this is going to happen in the future. Um, we're looking out at, uh, you know, 2028. Um, and, and frankly, that's not crazy. Um, it may sound crazy to think that we might see the end of hard drives, but uh, I'm not sure I would go that far. But I do think that we might see the end of um, hard drives as an exciting mainstream technology. Uh, we've already seen it in other areas. Um, you know, when was the last time you bought a laptop with a hard drive in it, let alone a music player or a phone? Um, and, and I think that we're going to see this trend continue. One of the factors as well, is, this is benefiting Pure as well as others, is the adoption of new form factors for Flash. After all, a hard drive, you know, I got this big thing in it, and uh, you got to put that somewhere, and then you got to cool it, and it's got to spin around and around and so on. Uh, Flash can have all sorts of different form factors, and we're seeing a lot of increasing interest in EDSFF and, um, and the proprietary uh, form factors that Pure is using as ways of packing uh, storage in more densely, um, enabling better cooling, enabling more efficiency, better footprints. And all of these things are really attractive in the data center. So I am gonna say, uh, I don't agree that hard drives are gonna be going out of production and no more hard drives will be sold in 2028. But I definitely do think that hard drives are gonna be increasingly a niche product and mainstream storage, every kind of storage, is going to be on flash memory. Uh, it just seems like that's the way that, uh, that the industry is going. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Pure on this one. Tom, Cisco is facing some very angry customers today. The hardware certificate that controls vEdge connections to control devices expired yesterday. This means that the connections to vSmart and vManage will eventually fail, which means that these devices will lose connectivity and no longer forward traffic. At this time, Cisco has no solution for the issues, and users have reported multi-hour hold times when calling Cisco support. Uh, I love that song, but Tom, is there something else that we can do? No, right now there is absolutely nothing you can do except enjoy the, uh, the dulcet tones of streaming winds before you can get someone on tack who will say, yeah, we don't know what to do, and escalate you. Listen, this is a huge problem. Like, like you, so you understand for most people out there who are, are listening, the SD WAN system, basically the edge nodes check in with the controller. The controller kind of gives them their configuration to do whatever. And there's a required, like, you know, connectivity check in, things like that. When this certificate expires, there's no longer that encrypted control channel. Eventually, your data plane will fail. This isn't like in its, it's in survivable mode where it, it doesn't detect a connection. It's saying that there's that the connection is there. It just won't work. And so it's just eventually going to throw its hands up in the air and freak out. Um, I saw an interesting theory about this. So follow along. Diptela was incorporated as a company in February of 2012. Uh, around mid-2013 was when they were working on their between their Series A and their Series B. What if um, one of the things that they did in order to get the system up and running was they purchased a 10-year 
security certificate and thought to themselves, oh, we'll have plenty of time to fix that in the next 10 years. And they didn't. And uh, that certificate has just been carried forward this entire time. I'm not saying that it's reality. I'm saying that it's a theory, but boy, it kind of fits. Um, this is a big deal. Like, like here's the problem. Let's just assume for the, the instant, like today, TAC is like, okay, well, we've issued a new security certificate. It's in the hardware. How are you going to get that on the device? How are you going to upgrade the firmware on the device if you can't push it down from the, the local area? And that's the problem with these kinds of integrated solution problems is if you don't get because if the, if we'd have known about this three months ago we would have been able to get in front of it we would have been able to push new certificates down the devices we would have been able to phase the old ones out uh firmware updates whatever it took but when everything just goes on the same day that's a huge problem and that's not a an easy fix that's going to require truck rolls that's going to require specialized tools that's the hard part about things. And I don't necessarily know that Cisco is going to have a fun time of this because they've really been pushing uh, Viptela, well, the product formerly known as Viptela, now known as Cisco VEdge, as you know their, their primary SD-WAN SASE solution for a while. And you know when you think about how many Edge devices could be out there being deployed, being in the state of being refreshed, this affects all of them any one of these that has a certificate in there, which as far as I know is all of them. So I, I'm kind of curious to see where this shakes out. It's so big that people who are not in networking are sending me copies of the story saying, man, this is a big problem. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. So Tom, uh, we've got one big story that I want to cover this week, and that is Aruba Atmosphere. Uh, you were at this conference. Uh, you learned quite a lot. We did some amazing uh, Tech Field Day presentations and discussions. We've got some coverage coming out, even a roundtable discussion coming up. Uh, so let's dive into Aruba Atmosphere here as our top story. Aruba was the talk of the town, and we're here to cover some of the exciting announcements from this event. There were a lot of discussion about the integration of Aruba, now known as HPE Aruba Networking, into the wider HPE company portfolio. But the wireless fans were not disappointed. They had a lot to cheer about with the new updates to Aruba Central that has better visibility and integration with HPE GreenLake. Security experts love seeing the acquisition of Access Security and how that's providing new edge security capabilities. And of course, uh, the Athenet acquisition extends private 5G capabilities, which is a really hot topic in the industry right now. Tom, since you were there and you paid attention and, and learned so much there, why don't you give us a little tour of Aruba Atmosphere? So I'm going to start off with the part I thought was the, the most interesting to me, which was the security aspect of things. And you're probably thinking, well, wait, it's Aruba. Why are you talking about security? Because that's a piece that they've needed for a very long time. And so you think about the fact that they developed their SD branch technology and it relied on ClearPass and, you know, it, it worked for certain sizes. And then they went out and they bought SilverPeak. And we've worked with SilverPeak in the past, so we, we've seen their technology. And David Hughes is really smart. He built a great company. It really complemented what they needed from an SD-WAN perspective, and then later SASE. But SASE isn't the only game in town anymore. SSE is really starting to come into its own, and that's, that maturity in that software stack was absolutely necessary. And so that's where we started to see the uh, integration of access security. And that was a, a pickup that they announced. We, we talked about it here on the rundown earlier this year. There is a lot of great opportunity there because it doesn't rely on hardware. It's 
all software focused. In fact, they had the, uh, you know, some of the executives from Axis on stage on the second day keynote to kind of talk about what they're doing with it and how they're going to be using it to, uh, to work with, you know, now they're calling it Edge Connect SSE. And so I've, I've been kind of following this for a little bit. And I, I think that there's a lot of potential here. Not only that, but you know, I've also heard Aruba employees talking about the fact that they're waiting for this access technology, uh, Edge Connect SSE, to be rolled out to their corporate devices. I mean, that's one of those things that you you expect to see. The company is using their own solutions to to fix these issues and to protect their devices. So I'm I'm very excited about this. We actually had a session in uh, in the Tech Field Day Extra, or I'm sorry, the Networking Field Day Exclusive um, offering that we did. And uh, it was just jam-packed with information, like literally jam-packed. The guy was, was 45 minutes was not enough for him to be able to present. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash techfieldday, and just look for the uh, Aruba Atmosphere Edge Connect uh, presentation. You won't be disappointed. Um, Steven, one of the other big things that came out of this was Aruba Central. It's, it's getting a little bit of a redesign. But since it involves HPE GreenLake, I was wondering if you could kind of give us a little bit of perspective on this, because this is really something that you've been following a lot, this HPE transition to GreenLake. Absolutely. And um, first off, uh, those of you who, uh, I don't know, are living under a rock or something, uh, GreenLake is a tremendously popular uh, offering from HPE that basically converts everything they sell into as-a-service offerings. And it does it in a way that's really uh, found a great uptake with HPE's customers and new customers. It's frankly an, an excellent um, as-a-service offering from a legacy hardware vendor. And, and a lot of the other companies in the industry have been following them. The same can be said of Aruba Central, which is their uh, overall um, uh, orchestration and, and management platform. I've heard it said that Central was one of the key assets that HPE was after when they bought Aruba. And frankly, the improvements that have been made to Central over the years have been really eye-opening. Of course, it's 2023, so we can't not talk about AI. And that's pretty much the big, uh, the big deal with Aruba Central. They have added AI ops um, all over the place. They have really done a lot to improve it. They have integrated Aruba Central into HPE GreenLake, and they've come out with basically a leading as a service um, management platform that uses AI to do smart stuff. No, we're not talking about chatbots and nonsense like that. We're talking about using AI to sift through the, the, the straw and, and, and pull out the needles. We're talking about using AI to improve overall uh, management, improve uh, the capabilities of the platform, and do powerful things. Um, I don't think that I can really do it justice by talking about it in uh, too much depth, because frankly, I'm not in the networking space as much as I am in the AI space. But what I can say is that if you check out the Aruba presentation from their Tech Field Day uh, uh, session, you'll see quite a lot there about Aruba Central. And I think you'll come away pretty impressed. Tom, uh, this is some a tool basically meant to to benefit folks like yourself. Um, did you see the same thing I saw? Oh, I absolutely did. There was so much excitement about the Central, not only the redesign, but the fact that it kind of runs in GreenLake, which means it can run either in the cloud or on-prem. And a lot of companies are still trying to figure out where they want that to happen. And this gives you a lot of flexibility to do that. Um, you know, 
some people had referred to the Aruba central interface as being, um, you know, tired, old, um, but, you know, just some of the stuff that they were showing off, the ability that it gives you to drill down into things, to be able to create automations and orchestrations based on business policies and things like that. It, it gives your operations teams a lot of incentives to want to automate these tasks, to pull people out of the loop so that you're not constantly, you know, con fighting little fires. You can focus on more of the strategic kind of deployments and things like that, that ultimately lead to more, um, I don't know, happy operations teams, uh, maybe less stressed would be a better way to put it. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where this develops. And I know that we, with some of the people that we've had there are actually gonna be covering some of their favorite parts of those announcements on gestaltit.com coming up very soon. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was literally everyone was buzzing about this, was the acquisition of Athenet, which is a private 5G LTE provider in the uh, that Aruba is picking up. And you know, quite literally amongst our group of delegates that we had there for Networking Field Day Experience, every one of them wanted to know more about you know, how they're gonna be deploying private 5G radios. How is this going to work with Wi-Fi? And you know, we've had a lot of discussion about this uh, on our Gestalt IT on-premise IT podcast. We've had a lot of discussion about this in our Tech Field Day sessions. Is Wi-Fi going to be taken over by private 5G? Do they have a place where they can coexist? And one of the things we learned about this, the answer is absolutely yes. And you have to understand those challenges. You have to understand what you're doing. And that's what Aruba is really trying to bring to the front here is we, you know, we talked to people like Stuart Strickland of Aruba about what they're trying to do. And part of it is, and Stuart just flat out said this, they don't want to have some other organization being in the middle of that discussion when it comes to deploying these radios for people. Aruba wants to work directly with the customer to you know, like stadiums, warehouses, challenging RF environments where, you know, the need to operate outside of an unlicensed spectrum band is critical. Like that's what they're trying to do. IOT devices, like they're quickly becoming capable of running these things. Stuff that you wouldn't even expect. Like, you know, those little hand scanners that you use to take inventory, things that are the bane of existence of all your wireless teams. If you go ask your wireless engineers anything about one of those old hand scanners, you can just literally see like the hackles being raised because they're so messy. But with private 5G, they're, they're no longer a concern. And so I think that that's where a lot of this excitement is. Now, we must preface this by saying that the acquisition hasn't closed yet. So they're still kind of in that, you know, phase of where they have to kind of treat it like it could potentially not happen. But we all know it's going to happen. So that's why I'm kind of excited to see where this is going. And like I said, you know, we talked about central, we've talked about security, we've talked about the fact that it's now HPE Aruba networking. It's no longer just Aruba because they, HP is trying to integrate this a little bit more closely into the fold. And Stephen, I wanted to get your take on that because we've seen how HPE has kind of acquired companies over the years, you know, SimpliVity, Nimble Storage, other places. And they, they were integrated into HPE quickly, whereas Aruba seems to have a different kind of a goodwill with the community. And that brand has survived for a long time, but we're starting to see the beginnings of, oh, well, maybe we need to integrate this into the HPE fold a little closer. Do you think that that is HPE trying to get some of Aruba's goodwill? Or is that Aruba kindly, finally realizing that there's more value in the HPE name than they might've realized? I think it's kind of a combination of both. I will say that I was at Aruba Atmosphere last year and I, there was some buzz in the audience about, oh, it's the end of Aruba and this is sad. 
Um, I don't think we saw that as much this year. In fact, I think this year, I think people are kind of starting to come around to it and say, wait a second, maybe it's not so bad. You know, with the assets like GreenLake, with uh, a lot of these other acquisitions that they're making, maybe they are actually strengthening Aruba and not weakening it. And I think that that's um, a trend that's going to continue. I mean, it was clear for that HPE was not uh, going to run this as sort of a federation of independent companies. Aruba was going to be integrated within uh, the HPE family at some point. The fact that the name and the independent spirit of Aruba has survived this long, I think says uh, something about how HPE sees this company and sees this community. And uh, like I said, it's really not all bad. Um, it's easy to criticize when acquisitions happen. It's much harder to make them happen in a smooth way that brings those customers along and exposes them to a broader portfolio. And I think that's exactly what's happening. You mentioned a number of other companies there that are being integrated into HPE, that are working with HPE, and that are being integrated into this story. And I like the idea, frankly, of Aruba networking being a flavor of Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Aruba networking being a market for Hewlett, Hewlett Packard Enterprise to sell into. And I think that that's sort of what I'm seeing as the evolution of this brand. And I you know, applaud them for it. It's not an easy task, especially at a huge organization like HPE. It's not an easy task when you have so many dedicated fans. I mean, Aruba had uh, really fanatical uh, fans and following. It it's, it's, would be very easy to just drive this thing into a wall, but that is not what's happened here. And I'm pretty happy with uh, the overall vibe of what we're seeing this year. Now, next year, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this integration is going to continue. Aruba, again, is going to be an aspect. Aruba networking is an aspect of HPE. It's a, a, a market for HPE, and it's a home for networking products. And I think that that's what it's going to look like in 2024 and beyond. I think you're absolutely right. And of course, the best part about that is, is that we're going to continue to cover all of this on the rundown as, as the story develops, as people at Aruba and HPE kind of figure out how this is going to work uh, together. And, uh, you know, we'll probably be at HPE Discover and Aruba Atmosphere next year because the, the show is going to be actually co-located running the same week in Vegas. So we'll make sure to let you know when that happens. But that's a ways out. That's 2024. We have some exciting stuff coming up very soon that you're going to want to learn more about. The first thing is happening with me next week because that's Mobility Field Day 9, which will be happening May 17th, 18th, and 19th. If you want to hear from companies like Arista, Solona, Cisco, Fortinet, Juniper, uh, NetAlly, and Ruckus, you're going to want to tune in. The schedule is on our website at techfieldday.com. Um, you can check out the, the wonderful delegates that will be there in the room. And then after that, Stephen, you've got the next thing on the on the agenda. That's right. Tech Field Day is returning to Boston for Cloud Field Day, May 31st through June 1st. Uh, we've got an exciting lineup of companies. We haven't announced all of them yet, but I can tell you that Morpheus Data will be there, RackN, uh, Zerto, another HPE company, and some surprises. So keep an eye out for more announcements from Cloud Field Day 17 and mark your calendar to tune in May 31st to June 1st. And coming up the next week after that is one of my favorite things. That would be Cisco Live US. We're going to be back in Las Vegas. Um, it's June in Vegas, so it might be a little warm, but we're going to be inside cooling it with our friends over at Backbox, Open Gear, and lots of presentations from the team at Cisco. Um, we've got some great delegates who will be joining us uh, there. We've got 
wonderful presentations around things like AI, enterprise networking, wireless, security, uh, data center, you name it. We're going to be putting the information up on the website very shortly. We've been working closely with our friends at Cisco to get some exciting sneak peeks. If you'll remember last year when they announced at the keynote that they were going to be talking about uh, deploying uh, Meraki firmware and, and software to Cisco Catalyst switches, everyone in the room was buzzing about how that could happen. And then an hour later, we got the technical details at Tech Field Day. So you're going to want to tune in for that. Make sure you set your calendars. That's going to be June 6th and 7th, Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. We're going to be having those great presentations. Thank you very much for tuning in for the rundown this week. If you want to catch the latest episode, make sure that you are tuned in to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash video. We usually publish this on Wednesdays around 1230 Eastern time. We also publish it to our favorite uh, podcast feed. So if you want to open up your podcatcher and just look for the Gestalt IT Rundown, you can get your weekly news while you're in the car on the way to work, um, maybe going out for a jog, I don't know, trying to clean the house. Um, we are excellent motivation to uh, clean up your room. But um, you know, however you'd like to choose to consume that news, we'd love to have you as a subscriber. We'd also love for you to leave a rating and a review uh, so that people kind of know what we're all about here. We don't talk about AI. We don't talk about social media. We, uh, we only talk about the enterprise tech news that's important to you. We hope that you follow our uh, Twitter handle. We're at Gestalt IT. We're also on all other social media platforms, uh, Mastodon, Instagram, um, we're working on whatever the kids are on now. So hopefully, you know, in, in the next few months, we'll be able to share those with you as well. Um, but we'll be back next Wednesday with more great news stories. And uh, we hope to see you there. Till then, have a good week.